One thing I can't get enough of as a people leader is feedback. Do you love feedback as much as I do? If so, please consider writing a review of All Hands and rate us wherever you listen. In so many senses, our principles help define the way that we think about culture upstream. But the real manifestation of a culture is who the people are that you've hired and how you enable those people. Welcome to All Hands by Lattice, where we believe that people strategy is business strategy. I'm your host, Caitlin Holloway. For the last decade, I've been a people and culture executive at some of the internet's most beloved startups. But my fascination with building true people-first cultures started many, many years ago. From film to tech, and a few interesting layovers in between, the one common denominator remains. I am most passionate about enabling people through belonging to create beautiful, innovative products. On all hands, I talk with CEOs and other C-level leaders about how being a people-first company is a strategic advantage. Join us while we chat with these top leaders about how a people-first approach isn't just good for people, it's good for business too. Today, we're chatting with Zach Perret, co-founder and CEO of Plaid. Plaid, the financial tech platform that powers connections between consumers and financial institutions, was acquired by Visa in early 2020 for a measly $5.3 billion. Zach and his co-founder William Hockey's journey is your classic tech startup tale. They made the 30 under 30 list and quietly took their spot on the critical software list for every major finance app, from Venmo to Robinhood. And after eight years, the pair decided that joining forces with Visa was the best way to get Plaid into more developers' hands and democratize financial services for the world. I first read about Plaid back in 2016 when they raised their Series B. Christopher Daw of Goldman Sachs led the round and drew parallels between the product, the founders, and the company culture. Low-key, behind the scenes, and focused on operating. Now, whenever an investor talks about a company's culture in their fundraising announcement, I start paying attention. A few years later, Zach hired a people executive I admire very much, McKenna Quint, to lead their people teams. Together, Zach, William, and McKenna have taken the team from the comfort of their Soma loft into the big wide world of corporate finance. Here to tell the story behind the story is Zach Perret. Zach, I'm really glad you could join us today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Would you mind starting out by giving us a bit of background on yourself, please? Sure. So uh, I have the unique pleasure uh, of having started a company, and uh, I've gotten to work on that company for the majority of my professional career. Um, I've been working on Plaid since 2012. Prior to that, I spent a very brief amount of time working in consulting. Uh, I worked at Bain & Company, where I learned a lot and, uh, frankly, owe a huge amount to the firm for, for teaching me so much. However, I did not like the job whatsoever. Consulting uh, is a fascinating field in which you get to learn a lot about businesses, except you don't get to operate them. And so uh, I knew after that, that I wanted to jump into entrepreneurship. Prior to consulting, I'd spent a lot of time working uh, in a physics lab uh, uh, and uh, doing a lot of uh, a lot of programming for laser system controllers, which was uh, how I first learned code. Wow. Nothing that I had done before prepared me whatsoever for starting Plaid, uh, <laughs> other than uh, kind of learning, learning kind of the basics of business fundamentals. That's so funny. So how did Plaid actually come to be? So prior to Plaid, um, my co-founder, William, and I had, had recognized that in financial services, there were a bunch of products built by banks that required people to mostly walk into bank branches and talk to bankers. However, there were very few digital financial products at the time. 
So when when we first started thinking about building uh, a company in financial services, we were based in New York. We had an office uh, that was, or office is really a stretch here. It was two desks in someone else's <laughs> office. But we were in this office that was just off of Union Square. And in Union Square, frequently were these Occupy Wall Street rallies. And so you would walk past people kind of carrying signs and, and shouting stuff. You walk in the office and then you start thinking about how can I build something in financial services? And in those days, particularly back in 2012, before fintech was, was even a field, when someone thought about things that they needed to do in their financial lives, it was predominantly walking to a bank branch, talking to a banker, asking them for something. However, consumers were really frustrated because they didn't believe that banks had their best interests in, in, in mind. And so when we set off, even before building Plaid, um, we started building consumer financial services applications. Think of these like really bad versions of budgeting applications, a bad version of Mint, because <laughs> yeah. our, our, our products were never all that great. But we, we ended up building six of these products, all focused on helping consumers analyze their spending in one way or another, um, better understand how they were using their money, so on and so forth. And while we enjoyed it a great deal, we realized that none of these consumer products were any good, frankly, because the infrastructure wasn't there to build great consumer products. The concept of interfacing uh, with a bank account just was, was not something that anyone had really thought about before. And um, certainly not, not, not in the sense of building a, a tech-enabled kind of set of APIs for, for developers. And so we, um, we set out to basically build the backend that we needed uh, with the belief that there would be others like us that wanted to build uh, really great consumer products and financial services. And in one sense, we, ha we had a, a strong theory and uh, we definitely executed uh, while focused on that theory. However, we got so lucky in uh, happening to, to kind of land in this, this fintech market that, is, that has grown beyond uh, what we could have possibly expected at the beginning. So what is Plaid's mission and vision? I, I've heard you talk before about wanting to democratize fintech. Is that something that you still stand by? So the core thesis of the company is to make money easier for everyone. And I realize that saying those words, they sound really high level, kind of hand wavy. And it's, it's a bit strange for a B2B company to talk about making money easier for everyone. You know, we don't directly serve consumers. But truly, the, the thesis for us is that we want to create an ecosystem of financial products. We want to build the infrastructure to enable an ecosystem of financial products. All of those financial products um, hopefully uh, have the goal of helping the consumer do one or two or, or maybe many things better in their financial lives. So if you think back to a decade ago, if you needed to get a loan, let's say you needed to get a $5,000 loan, you had to walk into a bank branch and talk to a banker. Fast forward, uh, one, of our, one of our customers, Lending Club, they did a lot of amazing things, but one of the best things that they did was that they put the loan on the internet at scale. Um, right. So instead of walking to a bank branch, you could go to Lending Club and, and, and get a loan. Fast forward uh, some more years, and now we're in a world in which there are hundreds of different online lenders, and all of them are, are competing for you based on uh, kind of the price of the loan or the quality of service and the quality of communication and so on and so forth. And so we see our role as Plaid as the enabler of that ecosystem. So we're building the infrastructure that Lending Club and many of the other uh, lending companies online are using in order to qualify the consumer, in order to set up the loan, in order to make the entire process simpler and work really well on the web. That's the infrastructure that we build. And so we talk about this concept of democratizing financial services. That is, again, building an ecosystem of many financial applications. But ultimately, the way that we measure ourselves is based on consumer outcomes. So if consumers are using the products that we power uh, and they're getting greater financial value out of those products, then we consider that to be a success. This isn't just about making sure that all of the parts of a company are running smoothly. People want to see their product out in the world. When they can feel the impact their work is having on others, it really gives employees a sense of purpose.
we have this set of seven principles for Plaid that help govern in culture. And the first principle is impact. You know, as we were developing these principles, um, this one was just so obvious to us because uh, what we talk about day in and day out is how are we creating impact? How are we creating impact on consumers? How are we creating impact on customers? How are we creating impact on the banks? How are we able to measure the impact of the work that we're doing? And one of the wonderful things about Plaid is that you can do some work on one part of the, part of the product. And because so many customers are using it at such massive scale, you can actually pretty quickly see the metrics start to change based on the work that you did. And so uh, our goal is to make it such that kind of every every OKR, every bit of work that we're focused on doing, um, you can draw a direct line between that bit of work and the impact that you're having on, on consumers at the other end of the chain. That's really interesting. How do you actually measure that internally? Do you have a dashboard or, you know, how are your employees connecting with the impact? Yeah, we have tons of dashboards. We are uh, big believers in tracking the metrics that, that, that we want to improve. So there are dashboards everywhere. There's daily metrics, there's weekly metrics, there's uh, monthly and quarterly metrics. And those all kind of ladder up to our annual goals. And so we are uh, maniacal about ensuring that if we say that we care about impact, we're maniacal about measuring the impact that we're creating. I don't think there's anything wrong with being maniacal about impact at all. Now, talk to me about your team. So so let's go back in time again, back to those New York days on Union Square and the Occupy Wall Street signs. Were you actually recruiting a team at that time or was it just you and, and William? <laughs> it was just two of us at that time. And you know, along the way, we were so fortunate to hire this wonderful intern, Michael, who uh, he joined us when it was two of us really in this kind of shared office space where we were kind of squatting. But we moved out to San Francisco and it was three of us at the time. And Michael is is fantastic, ended up coming back to Plaid, but at some point he had to go back to school. Oh, right. And so we went from three people thinking that we were making progress back to two people. Uh, <laughs> and so we, we kind of took a step backwards in team. But fortunately, that was about the time that we ended up closing our seed round. Uh, we're able to, to make a set of really fantastic early hires. And the first thing that they started to do is look through the code base and say, oh, that's Zach's code. It's not very good. We're just going to go ahead and delete that. Uh, so they, they, they certainly uh, on day one started improving the quality of the product and keeping us really humble. That's excellent. I, I remember at Reddit when we celebrated the last line of code that, that Spez, you know, Steve Huffman, our CEO, had written. There, there was a big, it was a very joyous occasion for him. Um, I think that's the true case of, you know, hire people that are smarter than you. Let them get out of their way, right? Let them do the work that they're really good at and get out of their way. Always. That's funny. So, so now take us to today. How many employees does Plaid currently have? We are uh, just a little bit north of 500, predominantly in San Francisco, the, the headquarters in San Francisco, very large New York office, uh, large and growing Salt Lake City office. Um, we also have offices in London and Amsterdam, and then uh, a handful of uh, folks that are that are elsewhere out there in the world. Got it. Now let's talk about your your people team and, and your approach to people. At what stage in the game did you decide that you needed a head of people or somebody to sit and strategically partner with you, not just compliance, not just recruiting, but somebody that really cared about the, the cultural development of your team? So uh, for us, people has always been an incredibly important function to the company. I'm a big believer that people is the highest leveraged function that exists in an organization. And I, I kind of disagree with the way that some of business books are written um, where people is just kind of like a, a, a thing that you do more as an afterthought. I actually hearken back to the days where really early on uh, uh, in companies um, where the, the chief people officer was like basically the COO of the company because they're yeah. creating so much leverage across the entire company. And the, the way that we always thought about people was that it was a very crucial thing to do. For better or worse, though, that meant that I was deeply involved in people yep. all the time. Uh, yeah. Hiring a lot of wonderful folks around me that are much better at the individual pieces of, of, of the puzzle than I am. Right. But we didn't actually end up hiring our head of people until uh, a little bit over a year ago. 
uh, which is when McKenna joined us. Um, we built out uh, a great recruiting function uh, with great recruiting leaders. We built out a great uh, people function with, with good people leaders. We had a great office function with great office leaders. Um, but we hadn't pulled it all together in one person for a long time. Part of that was intentional. Yeah. Myself and William, we really wanted to have our hands on, on the work that we were doing. William and I have been deeply involved in recruiting since day one. We built recruiting software to make our own recruiting more efficient. Wow. In hackathons, we, we, kind of, we kind of create our own recruiting tools. Even to this day, I still spend at least a quarter of my time recruiting. And the odd thing is whenever I interview recruiters, which I still like to do, and they sometimes still let me do, yeah. <laughs> I love sourcing. So I love really? going through sourcing strategies with, with recruiters. All of this is to say, there was a reason that we didn't hire ahead of people for a long time. It's because both we had a really high high bar for, for who we wanted to hire. And frankly, we wanted to be very hands-on. I couldn't be happier with where we've ended up. I will say, I kind of wish we'd made the hire about a year before. Uh, right. We probably waited a little too long. So now talk to me about your actual search for, for this head of people. What were some of the qualities or characteristics you knew you wanted in this person before uh, you actually found the one? So this was actually a hard search for us. Um, yeah. we, we learned a ton in talking to people that were career HR people or career recruiters. But what we realized is that we wanted someone that was an operator that had switched into people or that had done people maybe early career and then become an operator and was excited to go back. The, the key thing here is that we wanted people that came first to people challenges is thinking about how do I build a great business? And yes. then how do I solve people challenges in order to enable building the great business? There's always this, this interesting back and forth between um, are we optimizing for the happiness of employees, which is crucially important, or are we op optimizing for the outcomes of the business? And right. whenever I ask these questions in interviews, in my opinion, the correct answer is both, but they have to be balanced at, at equal weight. Um, we can't just optimize right. for people's happiness at the cost of the business. We can't optimize for the business at the cost of people's happiness because ultimately our team is the, the thing that makes us a successful company. Right. But it, it definitely took us a long time to find someone that had the right mix of analytical uh, focus and uh, like active work in, in building a business, analyzing businesses, so on and so forth. Um, and then uh, kind of the really, really strong people skills in order to succeed. Now, after meeting McKenna, how soon did you realize or, or recognize that she would be the one to do that for you? You know, it was actually interesting. It took us a long time to get her to respond to us. Yep. <laughs> uh, I think I sent her like 10 emails or something like that. Maybe not 10. Um, but it was it was a few too many emails to be totally comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'd, I'd heard really good things and had had good references on her and so forth. Um, but again, I was I was doing my own sourcing in the uh, in in the search process. And eventually, she said, "Sure, I'll, I'll come chat with you." Um, though to be clear, I'm not interested in the job, but I'll give you some some good feedback. Um, and upon meeting her, it was it was clear that she had this right mix of kind of analytical yeah. rigor, uh, operational experience, and that uh, ability to really execute well in the people function. I will say a big part of exec search is creating a prepared mind so that when you find a good candidate, right. you recognize that it's a great candidate. Yeah. And, and we've been fortunate to be able to interview a number of people throughout the search, uh, many of which were amazing at, at certain aspects of the role, but didn't all pull it together. And so I felt like when, when, when we finally chatted with McKenna, we had a prepared mind. We were able to move pretty quickly. You know, full disclosure, I am friends with McKenna. And I remember her going through this decision-making process. But the first time I actually saw her after she had started and, you know, she'd gotten to know the team a little bit was her on stage accepting an award for best places to work. And 
McKenna being McKenna invited up, I God, I don't know, five, six, seven people up on stage with her um, to accept the award uh, because she had just started. And I just the joy I saw on her face and the pride that I saw in her colleagues uh, definitely made me know that she landed in the right place. And I, I knew that you all were building something pretty incredible. Yeah, all of all of the good things that that happen in Plaid's people function uh, were certainly her, and all of the bad things were certainly the legacy that I left before she discovered. <laughs> well, like we said before, right? Hire hire the people uh, that that can do the job really well, and then get out of their way. Let's dive a little bit deeper on on your culture. So, what what are some of the core uh, differentiators between your culture and others? So, I, I think one of the the favorite things about Plaid culture is just again a relentless focus on outcomes. Through that focus on outcomes, there is a great deal of humility built in. That for a long time was one of our, our most crucial uh, kind of hiring characteristics is that we were looking for humility. We were looking for people that would come to problems, um, recognizing that, yes, you might have a hypothesis and hypotheses are crucial in order to get anything done. And um, however, we're always open to feedback and, and constantly iterating. We have a set of seven core principles. Uh, these are similar to values. Um, but uh, the, the, the way that we think about these principles is that they are guideposts to our culture and they're inputs. They help us figure out who to hire. They help us um, figure out uh, kind of how we make key decisions. They're informational. Whenever someone wants to learn about pod, we can say, well, here, let's, let's go through our principles. In so many senses, our, our principles help, uh, help define the way that we think about culture upstream. But the real manifestation of a culture is, is who the people are that you've hired and how you enable those people. Right. So, so on the principle side, a few of them that I, I really gravitate towards, one of them is make it better. So a constant focus on, on improving, always finding ways to kind of make it better for customers. Another one is grow comma together. Um, and this one is, uh, you know, actually it, the punctuation is quite intentional, uh, as yeah. you might imagine. Uh, so the first is it's an, it's an imperative. So your imperative is to grow. Uh, but second, it's, it's, it's we grow together. So um, we as a group are all responsible for each other's growth. And then this really speaks to kind of the level of feedback and kind of, I would say, like positive and empathetic uh, 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 feedback that we give to people over time. Uh, and then also just frankly, the, the humility to, to recognize that, that each of us has uh, a huge amount of, of room to grow on, on all the things that we do. And then the, the last one that I'll touch on is, uh, is embrace openness and positivity. For us, this principle actually clicked for me after I was out doing a roadshow and visiting a bunch of our customers and a bunch of our bank partners. And I, I had been visiting this bank and it was just kind of walking around the the, the bullpen, the floor where, where everyone was working. Um, and you just look at faces and people just weren't happy. And then I walked back into the plaid office in New York and I looked around and people were just happy. They were enjoying working there. They were enjoying what they were doing. Um, and so for us, uh, we, we said, hey, like we just have to write this down because ultimately this is a this is an important part of of the culture that we have. People are excited about the work that they're doing. So the the goal is to embrace openness. Um, it's not to it, it embrace openness and positivity. It's not to be positive all the time. Things right. things sometimes aren't great, um, but it's to come to challenges with optimism. And we've we've found that it really does describe a lot of the way that that plans interact with each other. One of the trends I've been seeing is this shift not out of values or away from values, but new ways of talking about them. Some people are calling it a code of conduct. Others are calling it rules of citizenship. No matter what we call them, I think it's fascinating to see what different founders are gravitating towards and how they're actually bringing these principles to life. Because at the end of the day, it's about how you use them. They're designed to be a tool to enable your processes and your frameworks and ensure that everyone is rowing in the same direction. 
Now, you have some very exciting news that you've recently shared. Do you want to talk to us about that? Yeah. So uh, early on in uh, in 2020, we announced that uh, Plaid had signed paperwork to be acquired by Visa. We are incredibly excited about the, the, the future uh, of, of a Plaid and Visa combination. For us, we think that this is kind of a doubling down or reinvestment in, in the mission and the vision of Plaid. It's important to note that the transaction, it's, it's not about synergies. It's not about cost savings. It's not about anything other than continuing to grow Plaid in the way that Plaid was growing before. The, the kind of tagline for it is Visa Accelerates Plaid. Um, and we couldn't be we couldn't be more excited about the the future that we are 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 looking forward to creating very soon. Well, first of all, congratulations. I, I think that that's a massive accomplishment. I'm sure you and your team must be very proud and are excited about what that that potential future holds. We consider it a a milestone, an important milestone, um, yeah. one that you know we're all very proud of achieving, but but just a milestone. Uh, the best way to think of it is that you know we've we've closed the first chapter on Plaid and we're on to the second. And that second chapter is going to be even more exciting. Uh, we really are just getting started. I think that's exactly the right way to look at it. I had the the privilege of working at Pixar Animation Studios before the Disney acquisition, um, but it was right shortly after I started that that actually came to be. The way the company approached it had a very lasting impact on me um, as an employee and ultimately professionally because they had to articulate and talk about themselves in a way that they hadn't before. Um, so when you are your own entity, you you talk amongst yourselves, you create an echo chamber around your culture, around what you stand for, your mission, your vision, et cetera. But trying to explain that externally and ultimately to a partner was a fascinating, almost behavioral um, study that I, I had a front row seat to. So talk to me about how you all are preparing for this cultural shift and transition. What parts do you want to retain? What parts are you excited to, to grow and evolve? So go, going forward, one of the things that I say to to plaids when they start, uh, I always I always talk with them in their first week or two, uh, is that you kind of welcome to Plaid. You're now an owner of the company um, and you're an owner of the culture. And it now becomes your responsibility to create the culture that you want to create. I'm a big believer that with every change that you make to a business and every person that you hire, you forever changed your culture. Yes. And our job as as leaders is, is to be kind of the editors to keep things on, on track, um, but not to try to dictate exactly what people right. are doing or how the culture is going to be. Rather just to empower them and, and kind of guide towards a set of principles, perhaps, that helps make sure that we're pointing in the right direction. Starting to work with Visa is going to be another one of those steps. So the culture is going right. to change forever, without a doubt. But I think it's going to be a really positive change. Um, we've come to it with a lot of openness and positivity. And we, we've gotten to learn from some really amazing leaders that, that Visa has so far. And I'm, I'm inspired and excited to get to work with them more closely. I think we're going to learn a lot and hopefully can bring many, many elements of the Visa culture to Plaid. But it is worth noting, it's going to be Plaid's culture. We're continuing to operate as, as an independent unit uh, within Visa. And the, the Plaid culture that you, you saw before the close is going to be probably very similar to the Plaid uh, culture that you see after the close. And um, that said, I'm really hopeful that we can bring in some of the important elements uh, and continue to, to, to evolve the culture. That's excellent. So now it, let's add another layer to this beautiful onion that we're unwrapping here. So Plaid came to be it grew into a beautiful thing. It continues to grow. 
it is now being accelerated by Visa. And then, boom, global pandemic hits. Oh, and let's add an extra, extra one. Uh, McKenna, your head of people, goes out on maternity leave with her first child. So so here you are with this company who's just made this massive announcement, a team that is excited and, and ready to start this new chapter. And suddenly, overnight, shelter in places is called and your people need to work from home. Potentially, some people are, are ill. Talk to me about how COVID has shifted, if at all, the, the work and the way you operate. So first I'll touch on uh, your point about McKenna going on maternity. As you know, knowing McKenna, she was incredibly prepared and uh, actually uh, had a fantastic uh, maternity plan in place. So um, that, that did work quite well. We certainly missed her while she was out, but the execution and operations uh, went, went on without, uh, without too much of a hitch. So COVID was fascinating in the early days. I mean, it's still fascinating. It's you know, a time of intense fear from the, the broader population. Uh, it's a time of intense change for our customers. And frankly, it's, in, it, it's, it's a very hard time for, for certain subsegments of financial services more broadly, um, right. both on the consumer side and on, on the business side. The financial impact on, on consumers and particularly small businesses across the United States is something that we probably won't even be able to quantify for years to come. Right. But when we look back, it's going to be something that we say that was one of the most massive shocks to, to both supply and demand side um, that, that, that we've, we've ever seen potentially. And so uh, as, we, as we went into kind of the, the COVID reaction process, we, we set out a set of, of principles um, that we were going to use as we were, as we were going through this. First one was uh, a team first. So the, the health of our team, the health of our employees, the most important thing that we can do. Um, we actually were relatively early in, in, in recommending work from home and then relatively early in also mandating work from home. Yeah. Um, we were so fortunate to be a business in which, you know, despite many short-term changes and people having to juggle kids and, and pets and so forth, um, we were able to operate at, you know, 95, 100%, maybe even beyond 100% efficiency uh, while working from home. So we felt really fortunate to be in that situation. First and foremost was ensuring that we have uh, kind of our team taken care of. And second, then it becomes a deep focus on our customers. So how can we help our customers get through this really tough time? We have customers, some of which are doing fantastically well during COVID. Brokerage, for example, uh, investment applications, uh, cryptocurrency applications, everyone was buying stocks or selling stocks. Um, and so they did pretty well. On the other end of the spectrum, we had a, a handful of customers that were getting you know, really hurt. Uh, small business lending, for example, before mm-hmm. the PPP was rolled out, small business lending was, was basically uh, uh, not moving at all. And mm-hmm. a lot of kind of consumer programs uh, not moving so much. And so the second focus is on how do we create an ecosystem where customers can continue to grow, we're there to support them, we're there to talk them through it, we're giving them best practices, we're giving them the resources they need to continue. And then beyond that, um, we went through uh, what, we, what we call a DEF CON uh, scenario planning exercise. Um, and so it's basically saying, uh, you know, in, in the first week of recognizing what's going on with COVID, what are our three scenarios? What is an expected, uh, a, a, a better, and then a, a worst case? And then define the, the signals that tell you when you're in what case, uh, define the outcomes that you expect, and define the act- actions uh, in each of these cases. And so really quickly, within probably two or three days, we had a, a, a set of DEF CON levels. Now, how has this impacted your internal communication strategies or, or the way you were operating before? Has this changed the way you do all hands? Has it shifted the way um, you it, you mentioned before that you're very dashboard and metric heavy? Has it changed anything or, or were you kind of nailing the, the transparency and openness before? Oh, man, it, it changes everything. Um, suddenly, the ability to have a conversation with someone is, is gone. You have to do it over, over a video call or, or a phone call or a Slack. 
And so what that means is you have to learn completely how to, how to do communication again. We went from having some teams that operated primarily rem remotely to having the entire company that operated primarily remotely. Right. And so you do all of the things that, that make sense, which means you do more documentation, you do more kind of proactive updates, so on and so forth. I think for us, what was a little bit difficult is that we went from a, a culture and a company that was very bottoms up driven. So mm -hmm. at the top, we set the strategy. My, my job is to set the strategy, set the mission, ensure that everyone understands it, and then ensure that we're, we're monitoring and building the right KPIs and metrics to track against our execution. However, the ideas for the execution, they don't come from me. I don't want them to come from me. I want them to come right. from everyone else. But having a very bottoms-up driven culture that goes through a shock, it means that the bottoms-up nature of that kind of doesn't work as well. And so for a short amount of time, you have to go into a much more tops-down mode where we're resetting expectations, we're resetting everything. Um, and so for us, what that meant was uh, a lot of kind of investment in all hands, a lot of investment in kind of re-updating re our strategy, re-updating our short-term strategy, making sure that all of our leads were on board with where we we're going, what was happening next. And then we can hand the reins back to uh, the individuals that are, that are really the ones that are doing all of the, uh, all of the important work. Applied. I will say, though, moving fully to Zoom for, for all hands has been an upgrade. Really? Yes, we, we've, we've always been doing these uh, multi-office distributed all hands. We would hand the mic back and forth between offices. And yeah. it was a little bit difficult from an AV setup. Right. And now it's just seamless and we do music. Our all hands are really fun these days. That, that's awesome to hear. That was actually my next question is, is what, what do you plan to take from this kind of the, the dark times in back when, you know, the light is here again with us. So what, what things or discoveries have you made through this dramatic shift with COVID that you really want to make sure that you preserve on the back end? You know, there, there's a lot of things that we're thinking about. I don't think we have a, a strong answer on that yet. Yeah. For me personally, it's been a huge learning to understand how to operate a company at scale remotely. And, you know, I, I still respect and, and, and have had the fortunate opportunity to, to ask questions of a lot of people that have been doing remote full-time uh, as a big company for a while. And, you know, it is, it is a special thing. So uh, I'm, I'm yeah. guessing we're going to see many more companies be fully remote going forward. I think so too. I think it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, and also impact the way we support our employees. So, you know, being an inclusive leader in a remote scenario or remote environment also has its its unique challenges and opportunities. Has this impacted any of your benefits or the way you support your employees? We definitely did do uh, kind of a handful of, of short-term programs, helping make sure people have the, the tools and resources they need to work effectively from home. So, you know, work from home stipend and, and so on and so forth. I think the biggest change that we've seen, though, is is this concept of of time and time management. Uh, we have a lot of a lot of folks that it's two parents with two kids, and they will hand off kind of taking care of the kids for for certain times of the day. Um, and from from our perspective, that's totally fine. First, and then uh, we actually want to build in an environment that 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 they can work efficiently through that. And so whether that means, you know, finding certain synchronous hours uh, where you can kind of do, do management, work closer to the team, be available for real-time conversation, and then allowing the rest of the work to become asynchronous and kind of work uh, early in the evenings, late at night, whenever that has to happen. One of my favorite things, though, has actually just been seeing people's kids on Zoom calls. Our head of engineering was one of the uh, particular people who uh, had the pleasure of taking care of his quite young son. Uh, all morning, and so his his son would just sit on his lap and join all of our all of our staff meetings. Oh. Um, and it was it was fun to have him as an additional participant. Uh, and I will honestly, I'll, once we go back to the office, I will miss having that kind of thing. I, I hear the joke all the time or the meme that you know we're all BBC dad now, that the kid running in the back door. Um, and in fact, I'm surprised it hasn't hasn't happened to me uh, since we've been chatting. <laughs> so it's very rare that the entire world experiences the same thing at the same time. Yes, and. Um, 
globally in in kind of late March and early April, globally everyone had the same the same situation. They were working from home. They're figuring out how to deal with it, so on and so forth. And through that process, y- there's a lot of commonality created, um, and also frankly, there's a lot of availability created. Um, right. So a- as I was doing zooms with with these other people, it was it was so so fascinating to get to learn just a little bit more about what their life looks like at home, and it actually builds a much deeper kind of more emotional bond with people. And so I, I really do, in some sense, appreciate the silver lining of this crisis for that. I think so too. I th- that is certainly one thing that I've heard echoed a lot uh, between all of the different leaders I've had the the pleasure of talking to. We're going to move into the rapid fire question section, um, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. So the rapid fire questions. Um, I'm going to start with three that are relatively easy. Uh, I want you to answer them as quickly as possible. Don't overthink it. None of that. Are you ready? Sure. Let's go. Okay. First question: Is a hot dog a sandwich? No. Zoom or phone call? I prefer Zoom. Best LaCroix flavor? I like plain, plain, normal LaCroix with just the bubbles, uh, but I do love LaCroix uh, or Topo Chico. Excellent. Okay. That was just a warm up. Now we're going to have a few more that are maybe easy, maybe not so easy. Okay. First question. Company culture, family or sports team? It's somewhere between the two. I lean a little bit more towards sports team, but uh, there are many elements of, of a family that need to be pulled in. I like it. Number two, what is your favorite interview question and why? I have a lot of these. I do a lot of interviews. The question that I probably ask the most frequently is, who is the most impressive person that you've hired and what made them so impressive? Uh, Particularly, I ask that to managers because I like to understand, can they identify and then help cultivate talent uh, for, for the folks that they're hiring? I also tend to ask people to teach me things a lot. Um, so one of the things I look for is people being incredible at something, uh, you know, being best in the world or, or, or just very, very good at, at one particular thing. Uh, and that could be something that has to do with work, could be something that has nothing to do with work. So I like to ask, kind of, what is that thing for people? And then when they tell me, I ask them to teach me about it because I think you learn so much by, by having someone teach you something. Uh, are they a good communicator? Are they clear about it? Are they able to, to, to handle dumb questions, so on and so forth? Plus, then you get to learn about all of this interesting stuff. I like that. I, I always love the the double question. So, okay, so I'm going to turn it back on you. What would you teach me? What is something you think you're really great at? Oh, man. Uh, well, I'm the first to admit there are extremely few things that I'm really, really great at. But uh, uh, I have been uh, trying to learn to surf recently. Um, one of the, the great benefits of uh, of the lockdown is that though the beaches are, are so the beach parking lots are closed, the beaches are actually open in much of California. So I've been learning to surf. So I can I can actually do the beginner surf lesson really well. I, I'm not more advanced than the beginner surf lesson, but I could think I could do the beginner surf lesson pretty well. Okay, so last and arguably the most important question. At the end of the day, how has a people-first strategy been a strategic advantage for Plaid? For us, we couldn't accomplish anything that we would want to accomplish without an amazing set of people that work at Plaid. I, I, I talk about this a lot within the company, but for us, we pride ourselves on execution uh, and individual execution at that. And so my, my big belief is that uh, the manager's job is basically to enable the people on their team and then get the heck out of the way. And really, the most important thing that you can do at a company is to be the executor, to be the one that's doing the thing. And so a lot of the way that we think a lot of our people practices are built on top of this concept of how do we find amazing individuals that are going to execute and then let them do the thing that they're the best in the world at. And for us, it's it's worked well so far. Um, and to be honest, you know, it is it is really uh, thanks to the individuals on the team that 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 we owe all of the things that that we've accomplished so far. 
I love it. I am so excited for your next chapter. I'm so excited to watch this acceleration and partnership with Visa. Um, and I, I am so grateful that you chose to spend some of this time with us. And I cannot wait to see what you all build next. So thank you so much for joining us today, Zach. And to you, the listener, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of All Hands, brought to you by Lattice. I'm your host, Caitlin Holloway. This episode was produced by Pod People, Rachel King, Eliza Lambert, and Samantha Gatsik. Special thanks to Annette Cardwell. Learn more about how Lattice can help your business stay people-focused at Lattice.com or find us on Twitter at LatticeHQ. Don't forget to subscribe to All Hands wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next time.